Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Well, uh, I've been talking with you about, uh, we've been kind of a little series entitled The Holy Man. And uh, so we, we've been going through different attributes of what the holy man looks like. And, and really what I'm, what I'm meaning as, as the holy man, it, that was an expression that I felt like I heard from the Lord uh, a couple weeks ago that he had given me of what does it look like to walk in holiness? What does it look like to walk uh, righteously before the Lord? And really, when you think of the word holy, you automatically think of like purity or absolute purity, uh, which is definitely an attribute of holiness. But the, when you get to the root of the word holiness, the word holy actually means to be set apart or also, uh, and maybe even, even more so, it means to be different, to be other than. So when I'm talking about being holy, walking in, in holiness or the holy man, and of course, when I'm saying man, I am meaning mankind. I'm meaning boys and girls, all of us. This is, this is for everybody in the room. Um, but when I'm saying to be the holy man, what does it look like to walk as a holy man? What I'm saying is, what does it look like to be set apart? to be different from the world, to be different from uh, those who maybe don't know Christ. It's actually a setting apart. It's, it's, a, it's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. And really, it's a lifestyle after encountering the love of Jesus. That when we encounter the love of Jesus, it says that, behold, all things are new. That the old man is dead. And there is a new man that has risen to life with Christ, right? In Christ, there's a new man who has risen to life. What does that new man look like? How is he different from the old man? And that's what we've really been talking about is, is the difference between the, the man who has died, the old man, and the new man who has, lived, who has been raised with Christ, who is walking in righteousness, what is the difference? What does it look like that when it says, behold, all things have become new? So uh, obviously there's a whole lot of uh, ground that we could cover in that. Um, but I, I'm, uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you about uh, what it looks like to walk in righteousness and purity. Uh, then last week uh, online, I talked about the holy man is unoffended. The holy man is unoffended. I'm going to do just a five minute, not even that, a couple minute review of what that looked like because I know that we had some internet issues last week and we weren't able to be here in person. Um, so just real briefly, I, I want to just uh, remind you what that, what that is. So the holy man is unoffended. What, what I, what the point, main point I want to get across with that is when you think of offense, the emotion of offense is actually a lie. Okay? The emotion of offense is actually a lie. A, 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 the offense comes because of this. This is what, what causes offense. Offense is caused because you believe that somebody's words or actions have somehow devalued you. That their word or their action has devalued you in some way, and therefore this emotion of offense, this, this uh, need to defend yourself rises up inside of you because you feel you have been devalued. 
And the reason why that emotion, although very real, I think we can all attest to the realness of that emotion, the emotion is actually a lie because how many of you realize that no man can devalue you because your value is not determined by another person's opinion. Your value is determined by who God says you are, right? Your, your, uh, the, your value is determined not by any man. It is determined by who the Lord says you are. Therefore, that feeling of being devalued, that feeling of offense is actually a lie because nobody can actually devalue who you are. Not even yourself. You can't even devalue yourself. Only your, your value comes from one place and that is the Father, amen? So if the offense the emotion of offense is a liar. Offense is caused, uh, offense happens when you feel that another person's words or actions is demeaning to you or has devalued you, but it is caused by one or two days. That, that, that feeling of being devalued is caused by one or two things. It's caused either, first off, it's, it's caused by the fact that maybe what that person said or did actually has a merit of truth in it, but that truth either exposes a wound that you didn't know was there or it uncovers a wound that you knew was there, but you didn't want others to see, right? And the example I gave was Jesus with the Pharisees. You know, when Jesus, uh, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and was upset with him for uh, breaking the commandments and Jesus then comes back and corrects them, uh, corrects them on, their, on what they were saying, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, do you realize you offended the Pharisees when what you said? How many of you know what Jesus said was absolutely the truth? Did Jesus ever lie? Was Jesus ever wrong? So why were the Pharisees then offended at Jesus? Because Jesus telling them the truth exposed something that they didn't want exposed and therefore, an offense rose up inside of them because they wanted to hide the wound inside of them, okay? So offense is caused, number one, by the fact that maybe what they're saying is actually truth and you just don't wanna hear it or don't wanna admit it or don't want that to be exposed. So that's number one. Number two, offense is caused uh, by you, your lack of realizing your identity. Okay, so maybe somebody brings a word or an accusation or they have some kind of action against you and it's caused you offense. And after evaluating yourself, you realize that that what they were saying was not true. It was not accurate. What happens then is you either have one or two choices. You either realize your own identity and you're confident enough in yourself that you can then take that offense and brush it off realizing I'm not devalued even though they spoke something wrong against me. My value isn't in that. My value is in who he says I am. So it's understanding your identity. But when you don't understand your identity, your identity then does become what the other people say about you. And even when it's not true, it causes the offense to rise up in you. Does that make sense? So, so that's just in a nutshell what it looks like. So when you become offended, when you feel the emotion of offense, the very first thing you do is internalize it. You don't respond, you don't react. The best thing you can do when you feel offended is to first be still and quiet and evaluate 
where is this feeling, this emotion of offense coming from? Because it's either because there's truth that you need to hear and allow that thing to be exposed so the Lord can heal it, or it wasn't true, but it's not going to move you because you know who you are in the Lord. And because you know who you are, then you can let that offense go right over your shoulder. And then you can look at the person who has brought the offense with mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. Okay? So that's, that's the whole message in a nutshell, all right, of, of being unoffended. The holy man is unoffended. He doesn't allow the lie of the emotion of offense to come upon him. Instead, he walks unoffended. Today, I want to talk to you about something that really goes right along with being unoffended. Um, and what I want to talk to you about today is, is the holy man walks in humility. The holy man is humble and walks in humility. Let me read something to you. The holy man is a humble man. He walks confidently in who he is and is content with who he is not. He knows he does not know it all, and because of that, he is always growing. He rejoices in the elevation of others, even if they are elevated above himself. He has no need to prove himself because he has already found approval from the Father. The holy man walks in humility, and through hum humility, he is actually exalted. Let me read that last line. The holy man walks in humility, and through humility, he is actually exalted. Matthew 23, 12, in the New King James Version, Jesus says this. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I picked Matthew 23, but listen, there were, I would say, there's numerous scriptures that said the exact same thing, that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let me give you a list of some of the authors that said this. Peter, John, Matthew, Paul, Solomon, David, James, and Jesus tell all of, all of them tell us that the way to be exalted, the way to be promoted is actually through humility. The way to promotion is through humility. You see this in, in the parable in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is, is at the banquet and they're all, uh, they're all fighting for the seat of honor. You all know this story. They're all fighting for the seat of honor. And uh, Jesus looks at them all and he says, listen, it is better for you to pick the seat of uh, the, the humble seat, the one that's a little further down the row of honor on the table. It's better for you to sit in that seat and for the, for the host to come to you and say, you don't belong there. You belong up here in the exalted place, in the place of honor. Then, and it's better for that to happen than for him to come along and say, hey, there's somebody more honorable than you that's here. And then to take you in front of everybody and humble you, right? It's that picture that those who exalt themselves, who automatically think they deserve the seat of honor, it's, uh, those people will automatically be humbled. But those who humble themselves will then be exalted. The way to promotion in the kingdom is actually through humility. Matthew 5, 3 says, it's the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom. 
It's the poor in spirit. He doesn't mean people who uh, think little of themselves. It's people who are humble, people who realize they don't understand or know it all. Those are the people that inherit the kingdom. Amen? You all with me this morning? Amen. All right. I want to take a little bit of time and go through some different attributes of the humble, attributes of humility. Um, We probably won't get to all of them today, so there'll probably be a part two next week. But I want to talk about a couple of them with you this morning. What does it look like to walk in humility? The very first attribute of being humble, I believe, may seem a little strange at first. The very first attribute is confidence. The very first attribute of humility is confidence. Everybody say confident with me. I just like having the power to do that. There's there's really no need for it other than it makes me feel good that I can tell you to do something and you have to do it. We don't have to, but you do. So I appreciate that. I'm practicing humility up here. (laughs) So confidence, why is that the first attribute? Humility, let me say it this way. Humility is not walking around like you're the scum of the earth. All right? So humility is not thinking little of yourself or, or, or not allowing yourself to be exalted or to be promoted. Humility is not, is not this mindset of this, I'm, I'm just a little person, everybody else is better than me and woe is me, right? That's not humility. Real humility, let me say it this way, the most, the most humble people in the world are actually the most confident people in the world. Like, like I said in, earlier in that little statement that I wrote, that, that humility is knowing who you are, being confident in who you are, but just as importantly, it's knowing who you're not and being okay with you not being who you're not. Understanding what God has gifted you in and excelling in that gift and also understanding who you are not and how you are not gifted and allowing others who are gifted in that to be exalted above you in those areas. The most humble people in the world are actually those who are the most confident. Let me show you what I mean in scripture. John 13, one through five. John 13, one through five. Let me, let me just paraphrase this instead of reading it to you. Um, John 13, one through five, Jesus is, uh, this is the last night before he's about to go to the cross. He's dining at the table with his disciples, about to do the last supper, all of that. This is what's going on right here. It says in the very first verses, it says that Jesus knew he was fully aware that this was his last night on earth and that the cross was in the near future. He had foreknowledge to know that he was about to go to the cross and that these were the last moments with his disciples. It says, it says also that he knew that Satan had already put it in Judas's heart to betray him. So he already knew that, that around the table with him that this man named Judas had already in his heart the plans to go and betray him, right? So he already knew that. But then it also says this, that he was fully aware that the Father had given him full authority on the earth. Think about that for a second. That Jesus knew sitting in that room that whatever words come out of his mouth, that it would be accomplished just like that because he had full authority 
on the earth. And again, he knew that he was about to die on the cross and he knew that he was about to be resurrected and glorified and, and here in the next few days would be sitting on the highest throne in the universe. The throne that's above every other throne, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was all going on. I love John, uh, th this chapter in John because it's like you get this snapshot picture of what Jesus was thinking in this moment. Like you knew exactly what was going through Jesus's head. So you, he knows he's going to the cross. He knows Judas is betraying him, but he also knows that he has full authority in whatever he says is going to happen. What was Jesus's response after thinking all of these things? His response was to take off his outer garment, to put on a towel, and to begin washing the feet of his disciples. He had full authority. He could have stopped the events that were about to take place. He was fully aware they were about to happen and he had every opportunity and every uh, power to, to stop what was about to happen. But instead, he bends down and begin washing the disciples' feet. And, and think about it this way. This, when I thought about it, really shook me. Not only is he washing the disciples' feet, he's washing the feet of the men whose sins were about to send him to the cross. He was about to pay for their sins, and he was the one who bent down and began washing their feet. It should have been the other way around, right? Jesus was about to sacrifice himself for them. He was about to do all of that. He had all authority. He was, he was king of kings in this very moment. It, you would think that the disciples would have then began washing and worshiping Jesus. But instead, he puts on the towel. He takes off the garment and puts on a towel and begins washing the disciples' feet. An act of true humility. Why was Jesus able to act with such humility because he was confident in who he was. He had no need for their accolades. There was nothing in him who, nothing, there was nothing in him that needed their uh, response in worship. There was nothing in him that needed their, um, their acceptance or their praise. Because he was so confident in who he was, he was then able to perform this humble act, this servant's act of washing the feet of the men whose sins were about to send him to the cross. Jesus was able to act with humility because he knew exactly who he was. And the very first attribute of the man who is humble is a man who is confident in who he is, who knows that he's a son and or a daughter of, of, of the father, who knows that he is holy and righteous and blameless. When you can walk with that kind of confidence, then you don't need any accolades from anybody else. You don't need anybody else to notice how important you are or to, or to give you a certain amount of praise for what you're accomplishing or what you think you do. You are so confident that you are then able to turn around in, humble, in humbleness and humility and in meekness and serve those who actually may be less than you. 
The first attribute of humility is confidence. I will say it this way. Oftentimes, the most loud person in the room, the most seemingly prideful person in the room is actually the person who is the most insecure because they need people to recognize their gifting. They need people to recognize their talent. They need people to recognize their importance. And because of that, they put it all out there. And it seems like confidence. It seems like, like, uh, like I said, it seems like confidence, but in reality, it's actually insecurity. It's a mask of, of, of confidence, but in reality, behind the mask, there's a person who's insecure. When I think of this, I, I think of uh, being back in the bookstore at the ramp. And there'd be, uh, I used, Amber and I used to work the bookstore there at the ramp, and there'd be people coming in during conference who'd be like just singing at the top of their lungs. Like just, just walking through the bookstore, just, just singing at the top of their lungs. And really what they were doing was they were auditioning to get on the stage, right? They were hoping somebody would be like, oh my goodness, you are so talented. Hey, how about next service? You get up here and lead us and work. Like that's what they were wanting. Or, or uh, the ramp has a dance team. Uh, and, and people would literally come in to the bookstore looking at books and they'd be sitting there doing the dances, the chosen dances in the middle of the bookstore. You know, and they were auditioning. They were trying to be noticed for their talent and their gifting. But the person who walks in humility, he doesn't need the accolades. He doesn't need the stage. He doesn't need the spotlight because he knows who he is. He knows who he is. Amen? Attribute number one, the humble person, the person who walks in humility, walks in confidence. Number two, the, the person who walks in humility is teachable. The person who walks in humility is teachable. Everybody say teachable. It's good. All you watching on live stream, I hope you said it as well there. Teachable. All right. They have to be teachable. When I was doing construction, uh, with my buddy Nick, we did a lot of kitchen remodels, and uh, they were usually in very, very nice houses. We worked with a company called Direct Buy, uh, and Direct Buy usually had a very large customer base of just very wealthy people. So we were able to work in a lot of really nice houses and install a lot of really nice kitchens. So we were uh, one time we were working in this kitchen of this this multi million dollar house, um, and this guy. Uh, super nice guy, uh, but very uh, opinionated, I'll say that, and very, um, he, he, just, he just was not teachable, we'll just say it that way. Uh, we were much younger than him, and so he kind of looked at us like, you know, I'm paying you to do the job, but you're just kind of my little peons kind of thing, you know? And so anyways, we were, we were doing this job, and, and he had purchased uh, something called frameless cabinets. And frameless cabinets, uh, I don't know if anybody in the room has any. They're not necessarily my favorite type of cabinet, um, but not only are they not my favorite, but they're also ridiculously expensive. Okay, so they're, they're, they're frameless, which means they have no face frame. Uh, they're, they're built in a special way where they have no face frame. And uh, because of that, they're, they're very high dollar. They're very expensive. Well, we're talking to this gentleman, and he's just bragging about these cabinets that he's purchased, right? He's just telling us, how much he paid for them, how incredible they are, how, how well they're made. 
And uh, so he's telling us all about that. And we're like, yeah, they're made out of MDF. And he's like, no, no, this isn't MDF. No, this is something much more high dollar than MDF. Like I didn't pay this much money for cabinets made out of MDF, right? And I'm like, we're like, no, it's, it's MDF that's just been painted. Like it's MDF. He's like, no, it's not. And then he gets out. I mean, he's just frustrated with us because he thinks we're like dogging on him. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's like, no. And he, he actually goes and gets out the little pamphlet that he got for the cabinets. And he, said, he starts reading and he said, see, see here it says that these cabinets are made out of medium density fiber board. <laughs> and we're like, yep. And I tell you, he, and he's, he slowed down just like that. He read it, medium density fiber board. It, he realized it in his head, but I kid you not, he would still not admit to us that these cabinets were made out of MDF. <laughs> and, and so he just, he carried this, this, uh, this confidence about him that was really just false, right? Because even in the midst of being totally proven wrong, he still could not be teachable. He could not be pliable. He could not admit that guys who were, you know, 30 years younger than him maybe knew a little bit more about something than he did. And he was unteachable in that moment. We have to learn to be teachable in order to walk in humility. Proverbs 12, 15 says, a fool is in love with his own opinion, but wisdom is being teachable. A fool is in love with his own opinion, but wisdom means being teachable, being willing to admit that you don't know it all. Easy to say, very difficult to do. Being able to take instruction, here, here's where it gets hard. It's easy to admit you don't know it all when it's coming from somebody who is a, maybe a little older than you or in a higher position than you or somebody you respect. But it's difficult to take instruction and be teachable from those that are younger, less qualified, from people you disagree with, and maybe even people who frankly just annoy you. I was trying, I know, I told Amber, I've been in this situation so many times, I could not think of one good example, but I, I know I've been in situations where I've had to humble myself in front of somebody who frankly I just can't stand, but they just know more than I do. And it's difficult. It's hard to admit that you don't know it all, especially to somebody who, again, may be younger, maybe not as wise, maybe somebody who's just kind of annoying or, you know, whatever. It's hard to humble yourself and be teachable, but it's in the ability to be teachable that you are able to grow. When the moment you become unteachable is the moment you stop growing. The moment you are unable to learn from somebody who maybe doesn't know as much as you do. The moment you are unwilling to be teachable is the moment you stop growing. Right? Amen. With that thought, I wanna, I wanna say this. It's okay for humility to be painful. Did you hear me? It's okay for humility to be painful. In fact, oftentimes to walk in humility 
is actually painful. It's, it's difficult to be able to be teachable from somebody who maybe isn't as smart as you are or maybe who is a little bit arrogant and prideful. It's difficult, it's painful to have to admit. I'm sure for that gentleman uh, that we're doing those cabinets for, it was just too painful for him to admit that the cabinets, that he spent like 80 grand on a set of cabinets that were made out of MDF. Like it was too painful. But in a lot of times, oftentimes to walk in humility is actually to walk in a little bit of pain. It's not that being humble is always easy. It's not that being humble is, is, is not painful. It's what you do with that emotion. It's what you do with that pain that matters. It's how you respond. That's the word I'm looking for. It's how you respond to the pain that matters. It's okay for being, being humble to be painful. It's not okay to not be teachable. It's not okay to have a false confidence. I, I wasn't gonna share this, but I'll, I'll go ahead and just share this story anyways because it, it goes right along with this. Uh, I was listening uh, to Chris Valentin talk about this one, one service or one message he was preaching. And he talked about this, uh, this kid who was in their school of ministry. They have a school of ministry there in California. And uh, there was this, this young kid who, who had written a book and he had wanted uh, Chris and Bill Johnson, who are the senior leaders at Bethel Church, he wanted them to uh, write a recommendation. What's the word? What's the word? It's not recommendation. It's a forward, but there's also like a testimony or endorsement. That's it. There was a, he wanted them to write an endorsement for the book. And so they, he sends Chris the book, and Chris read, read through the book. And as he's reading the book, he's realizing that most, really all of what he wrote came from messages that Chris and Bill actually taught. That the revelation that was written in the book was actually revelation that was brought through Chris and brought through Bill, but it was written in a way that it was actually, it was this young man who, who had gotten this revelation, right? So, so Chris tells a story how he first got the book and he, he said the first note I wrote back to the kid was, I'm not gonna endorse a book that I wrote. <laughs> you know, I wrote half of it and Bill wrote the other half of it and you're just putting your name to it. I'm not gonna endorse a book that I wrote, right? And so that was his initial response. But as, as the Lord began dealing with him, the Lord, Lord just told him, he said, but Chris, your message has so impacted this young man that he has taken the revelation I've given you and he has made it his own. Like he's walking in that revelation. He's taken the revelation that has come from you, but he has so ingrained it into his own lifestyle that when he goes to teach something, he is actually teaching from that revelation. And so he said, you know, I, I got that from the Lord. And he's like, all right. And then he, he ended up writing the recommendation for the book anyways, as, as, as the kid wanted and, and put the recommendation in the book. And he said that was extremely painful but that was the humble, that was the humble thing to do. That was what the Lord had asked him to do. And though it was painful, Chris had to be confident in who he was, knowing that that revelation really came from him, but being okay that somebody else was going to receive the glory for that revelation. 
That's what humility looks like. Sometimes it's painful, but how you respond to that pain is everything. How you respond to that pain is everything. Humility may be painful at times. It may be uncomfortable, but through humility, we are actually exalted. I'm gonna end with this scripture right here this morning. In Philippians chapter two, starting in verse six, it says, he existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Talking about Jesus. That though he existed with God and he was God, he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language that Jesus Christ is the Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. That Jesus so humbled himself that he took on flesh and he came and died a criminal's death. The son of God died a criminal's death. He humbled himself to that point where he was willing to serve us in that way. And because of that, can you imagine the pain that it was as Jesus was bearing the cross? hearing the insults from the Pharisees, hearing the insults being spat upon, the king of kings being spat upon. And what was Jesus's reaction? He was the lamb who was led to the slaughter. He was silent before the ones who slaughtered him. He humbled himself to even the point of death. Humility can be painful. Humility can be difficult, but it is through humility that we are exalted. That's how the kingdom works. Through humility, we are exalted. And because Jesus was willing to humble himself, even to the point of dying a criminal's death, then the Lord exalted him. And now he is the name above every other.